We have been in our study on uh, promises and looking at various promises found in the Word of God. There, is, uh, there, are, there are hundreds of different promises we could turn to. And we are in the book of Isaiah, chapter 41 is where we're going to end up tonight. Um, but we're looking at the promise of His presence. And interestingly, as we sang those songs... Um, a lot of lyrics in those songs that we just sang in our hymn book that reassure us of the presence of God in our life now and for eternity. And that is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. And it is a theme that really shows us in Scripture that God desires to uh, dwell with us, His creation. And that is unique. And He wants us in the same uh, set up in mindset that we want to dwell with him and that's how it was wasn't it in the very beginning in the bible um, it's interesting because as you go through you find that when god created everything he made it perfect and he made it good and the greatest aspect of that creation was that god was right there dwelling with man and with woman in genesis chapter 2 verse 9 it says And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God made everything that was there. It was good. He made one thing, though, that he said man shouldn't uh, partake of the fruit of that, and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's interesting that that's the very thing that, that man fails at, isn't it? And the aspect of that is even in a perfect world, God still wanted people to trust him by faith. And that's, I believe, fully why he put that there, so that they would trust him in obedience, even in a sinless world. God wanted people to live by faith. In Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 8, it talks about the condition there of the garden. And it says here, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam... And his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And we know that the Lord, or uh, that um, Adam and Eve could walk with God and talk with God and, and they could do that. But when sin enters into the picture, and that's the context here in Genesis 3, the presence of God all of a sudden became something scary because they were undone before the Lord and they realized their sin was before them. They realized the world had changed. And the saddest part of the book of Genesis is that when you come to the third chapter of the Bible, you have man fleeing from the presence of God and desiring to be somehow made right, but not able to in and of himself. And we know that story. And that's exactly what took place In the end of Genesis chapter 3, sadly, this is the condition that has to take place. It says, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden. What is that? He sent him away from his presence and out of Eden to the till the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. God cast man out of his presence And that has been the condition of man in his sin ever since. However, it wasn't the final act of God to keep man estranged from him. Matter of fact, you can't go very far in scripture where you see where God is still uh, dwelling with his people, even though he cast them out of the presence of the garden. In chapter 5, we find out 
Like, for instance, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. And we know that God was dwelling and walking with Methuselah or with Enoch and Methuselah also implied as well later on. It is at the death of Methuselah that the flood comes. And really the old world um, was, well, destroyed by water in the great flood. Anyways, the story of the Bible is man coming into a perfect world, created by God, sin entering into the picture, death and all the heartache and evil and everything else attached to sin, and then fleeing from the presence of God and being forced away from the presence of God because God is holy and we are not. And then the story of God's redemption that draws man back. And that promise of his redemption, that promise of his presence, is throughout the rest of the scripture. All the way to the very last chapter of the Bible. And it's a very big promise because it's something we need. Um, I don't know about you, but those days that come that are difficult days, and there seems like there's more and more lately, there's just difficult things that happen And if it wasn't for the presence of God in my life, I would have given up. And I mean that. And probably most of you would have too. And I don't know how people don't give up without the Lord in their life. Because it's a very sad and lonely world without much hope at all, except the Lord be in it. Well, we know going through the scriptures, you come into the book of Exodus. And and we were sort of talking about this last week in the temple when Solomon prayed and dedicated the temple. But the, the promise there of his uh, power and, and looking at um, various aspects of that. But we, uh, we also look at the fact that God wanted a place to meet with people. And for the Jews, uh, in the book of Exodus, he told them that they were to build this tabernacle. And it was designed by God and it, he told them what to do and how to build it and that he would meet with the people And it says this, Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. And in verse 25, of uh, chapter 25, verse 8, it says here, And let them make me, that's the Lord, a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God desired to dwell with his people. And I said last week, in reference to the future temple that Solomon dedicated, Uh, Remember, the glory of God filled the temple, and you have Solomon praying in that that prayer of his. Um, But you have also here, you have the promise that God would meet with his people. He had a special place. And the, the tabernacle, and later the temple, was a picture of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we have the very dwelling or presence of God. And that's explained in John chapter 1, where it says, The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, literally tabernacled among us. And that's how uh, that speaks of His proximity and the fact that He came to us. We couldn't go to Him. Remember, our sin cast us apart from Him. Well, that's the story of redemption. And you come into the book of Isaiah, and that's where we're going to be tonight. And you have in Isaiah... uh, Well, first of all, Isaiah is a tremendous book of the Bible because um, there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. They often say Isaiah is like a mini Bible. There are 66 uh, 66 books in the Bible. Well, Isaiah has 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters deal with God's judgment and 
the character of God and some other things there. And then in chapter 40 to the end of the book of Isaiah to chapter 66, it deals with the comfort and the grace and the restoration that goes on. Very similar to how the Bible is laid out in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you look in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, and it says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Now, as you go through the previous chapters of this, you find that God is angry with their sin, and um, they need comfort. And we need that as well as we repent, right? In verse 2, Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 40 opens up with this idea of a, someone who's going to come, who will be a voice crying in the wilderness. Who was that prophetically? John the Baptist. And that's exactly how that is fulfilled in the Gospels. It's actually quoted in the Gospels from Isaiah 700 years before that time. Isaiah prophesied there would be one who would make straight the path and the highway of God. And he would be a voice crying in the wilderness. And that was John. And he ushers in Messiah. Just like Isaiah 40 opens with that, so the New Testament opens with that, doesn't it? And you go through and, and you see, anyways, uh, these, um, these promises that are found there. And then one of my favorite verses in that same chapter at the end of it is but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint and a wonderful verse of scripture many people if you uh, like to write out scripture they'll write out that verse and post that somewhere and it's a verse that tells us he's with us and and we can press on we can keep going well you you see that we come to Isaiah 41 which is our text tonight or part of it and you have um, basically some things here that we're going to look at, um, several points on this, but we, are, we find out that God is a God who uh, has revealed himself to us and he wants to be part of our lives. Isaiah 41, we'll read down to verse 10. It says, Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. How do we renew our strength? Well, previous chapter last verse tells us right let them come near then let them speak let us come near together for judgment who raised up one from the east who in righteousness called him to his feet who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings who gave them as the dust to his sword as driven stubble to his bow who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. By the way, that's attributed to Jesus Christ, isn't it? Who is the first and the last. That's the title given to him in the book of Revelation. And it's clear, he who was dead and is alive clear that jesus christ the son of god was was the first and the last and yet here it's attributed to yahweh and it's not because the bible got it wrong it's because it shows the deity of jesus christ he is the lord yahweh 
and just as the Father is and the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on, the coastlands sought in fear, the ends of the earth were afraid, they drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith, who he who smooths with hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, it is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. But you, O Israel, my, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Here he goes and he promises to Israel and he really promises all who will follow him, he has not cast you away. But he is very much near and he promises his presence for us. Several things there. I won't comment much on this section because that's not really what we're looking at tonight. But you find out um, he calls his people servants. What an honor, right? He calls them chosen. That's comfortable because it's God who did the work. And then friends. Calls Abraham a friend. And if you are a follower of the God of Abraham, he is considered the father of the faithful. And you know what? You also can be a friend of God. And he promises he'll never cast us away from his presence. Verse 10, he says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. We sang that, right? How firm a foundation. One of the verses, that's what it is. It says, For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So we're going to look at that tonight and uh, go through uh, this text here. Uh, Lord, again, we're grateful for your word, and as we open it tonight, just teach us as you can and as you do. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would put the word of God in our hearts tonight in a, very deeply and, and trust you more. Thank you for the presence that you have and the fears that are driven away because of that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look here about some of this and uh, about these the promises that, or the promise that is found here. In other words, the, the very fact that God is present. And uh, the first one is this, that um, you can live in the presence of God. And in doing so, we are not driven or should not be driven by our fears. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Fear not. As you know, and I think we did a series not, I don't know, it was a while ago now on the fear knots of the Bible. Um, at least I did a few messages on that. Uh, some have said there's about 365 verses out there that have fear knots or times. And a few of them appear right here in succession in the book of Isaiah. Uh, he says it here, fear not, for I am with you. Verse 13, he says, for I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. And then in verse 14, fear not. You worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. And uh, we know that the Lord gives that message to us because in reality our sin, having separated us from God in the beginning, and as we, if we run away from him, and that's the picture that's in the context here in Isaiah of Israel being restored. And in the most scary of times, there's a twofold prophecy connected to this passage. There's one that was near 
that would be at the time of Christ's first coming, and I believe also at the time of his second coming, which is yet future, Israel will be drawn from all the regions of the world, and they will be brought together during the great, right after the great time of tribulation. And he gives them that encouraging message saying, Fear not. All the scary things that have happened in world history and will happen even today in our world. And he says, Fear not. Psalm 23, 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The promise of his presence. David knew that as well. Um, And, of course, Jesus also says that in the Great Commission, right? When he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, the end of the world. And, And that's, by the way, the end of the age, I would just say this, is forever for those who are his, right? It's eternal life. He's always going to be with us. Why should I fear in that? He is God, and he is present. Number two, God is personal. In that same verse in Isaiah 41.10, he says, Fear not, I, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am, what is the next thing? Your God. That's personal. Not just a God, not just some generic God or an idol or anything, but your God. And that's the difference between the God of the Bible and all the false gods that are out there that man constructs in his mind and worships vainly. Is the, the true living God, the one God, he is a personal God. He's always, always been a personal God. He desires to have a relationship with you and with us corporately. And that's part of that great promise. He's a personal God. Be not dismayed. The word dismayed, not a word that we use probably a lot in everyday English today, but it, it means uh, essentially to be, uh, to be dismayed, means to look around anxiously as you would in a state of alarm. Um, more and more as I go through life, I, now that, of course, we're tied into everything, we, we hear about everything, right? And, you, you know, it's a lot of things that don't surprise me anymore. And then there's just things that, just surprise you and you know bring alarm to you again uh reading today in the news on uh, gender affirming care in california they have passed a law in california where if parents refuse to give gender affirming care which means that if your four-year-old comes up and four-year-old boy says i think i'm a girl and they come up and they say i want to be a girl you are legally legally obliged to give them care to encourage that and It hasn't been tested out in the courts yet, but there is talk about parents in custodial situations where mom and a dad maybe are going through a divorce, whatever, losing custody of their child simply because they won't give that gender-affirming care instead of being parents and and doing that. And that kind of shocked me. I'm like, wow, all right, it's here in the United States. didn't shock me a lot because they've been doing that in Canada for a couple of years now. <clears throat> at least a couple of years, and um, and, and I several several things. Anyways, that's a side note, but a big one. It's on. It's in the news. It's being talked about this month. It's being talked about. Karen, I appreciate your post the other day that June being the 
the month that so many people get married in is the month that everybody has to dance around and foolishly and celebrate gay pride and, and do that. And really cheapening marriage is what it is. And it's an attack and affront on God and his institution. I say that factually. I also say it in the sense that people need the Lord. And I don't say that with hate or malice or any of that stuff. And neither should you. We ought to be uh, certainly loving the sinner, hating the sin in doing that. Uh, But there are these things that just sort of alarm us. Oh, no. You know, I say, is marriage ever going to be the same? Well, God's the same. And yes, you can have a healthy Christian marriage. Um, Or that's just one issue. Or you name it, whatever it might be. Um, It may be the fact that you wonder, where do I go from here after something bad like that has happened in your life or your marriage has failed or those kind of things. God is still there and he's personal. He wants to comfort you. He says, be not dismayed. Don't be alarmed as you look around. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, David um, was in that situation. It says, now David was greatly distressed. He was dismayed. For the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. Look what it says. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And ultimately that is the solution. Is strengthening ourselves in the Lord. Um, There's a lot of counseling that goes on out there. And and there's people that need certain counseling and all that. But I really would say this. And I say it carefully. I don't think in the end result of a lot of counseling, if the Lord is not the end desire of someone, you will always have some measure of um, failure. <laughs> it doesn't matter what kind of, it, whatever it is. You can never really achieve what you've met, you were meant to be in that relationship because first and foremost, we were meant to be in a relationship with God. And he wants that. And so we try to order our lives and we try to order, you know, who we are and our homes and everything else. And if we, and if we do that without God in the picture, it's a lot harder. You, you can borrow the same principles that work, but it's hard because God wants to be the center of it. And that's the best way to do it. God is personal. He's present. He's personal. Thirdly, he says, I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you. In other words, as we lean on him, he promises to strengthen us. And I like that because when you, when you talk about um, the word to strengthen, by the way, in the Hebrew means to be uh, emboldened, to become courageous, to be a conqueror. It's used in that form elsewhere. And all those things are what we need. I need that in my life. If it's left up to me, I'm pretty weak. Um, pretty fearful. And I think about those things. I can walk around defeated without him. I don't want to be that. I want to be strengthened. <clears throat> Jesus quoted from Isaiah chapter 42. Um, actually, 
Isaiah in Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 12 verse 20 this is where what Jesus quotes or it's quoted of him in the in a uh, context of who Jesus is and why he came and it says this a bruised reed he will not break a smoking flax he will not quench he will bring forth justice for truth that's part of the promise of Messiah of the Savior and he's like that um a reed was simply, you know, one of those like little stalks of grass or papyra, the little hollow uh, tubes of grass that would grow in any water body. You know, and there's still some around reeds. And you could take those and break those off. Sometimes people would make little flutes out of them or something like that. Um, they would have one. And they were very delicate. And if it bruised, it broke a little bit, you just discarded it. It was cheap. It was nothing. You just go pick another one, make another one. And you know what the Lord says of us? You, you bruised reed, you fragile vessel that you are, he doesn't cast you out. I'm glad. Because that's the way a lot of times people treat people. They just, oh, they're damaged goods. Bye. In reality, he says, I'll never, never, never cast you out. A smoking flax, same thing. When you had flax that it was, you know, like a wick, and it got old and it wasn't trimmed right and all that stuff, it would start to smoke, and you don't want the smoke, so quench it right there. And you know, he uses this metaphor for people the same way. Smoking flax, he will not quench. There's some that as we go around life, our, our lives, well, they bring an irritant to others sometimes, right? Because of the circumstances of a life. Sin has done that in a lot of people's lives. And the Lord promises not to snuff it out. Instead, he says, I will bring forth justice for truth. Truth. By the way, justice is only served true justice, holy justice, in truth, in absolute truth. <clears throat> he is present he is personal he is powerful powerful for those that lean on him that's that third point point. and then fourthly he's practical look what it says here for I the Lord your God will hold your right hand saying to you fear not I will help you that's a couple of verses on in Isaiah 41 fear not I will help you Again, he's like that. Verse 14, fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel, I will help you. And um, back there in Isaiah 41.10, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And he talks about that. And um, oh, that, that's, I'm on the next point already. Sorry about that. Uh, but looking at this, again, we have the Lord as our helper, our strength. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, it does say that. The Lord is our helper, and uh, I will not be afraid what man can do to me. And that is uh, the, the idea that he's practical in that if I trust him, he helps me. I'm glad. Because you can trust in other things and not get help. And there are those that may unfriend you on their social media, or they may 
no longer be your friend in person or whatever else and know this, that God never unfriends us. And I'm glad for that. He's promised to help us in every single way. He is that one. Fear not. Did we lose that, guys? Power just die on that? I don't know. I guess it's there. It just went way down. Did you bump it? No? I don't know. Something's going on with these. This morning it was really loud and then it didn't. I don't know if you maybe bumped it. You can just tell. It's all right. It's like it faded right out. So, uh, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And this one is that God will provide, and he upholds us with his righteous right hand. Basically, when you think about that, the Lord is the one who... Um, well, who is seated at the right hand, first of all? Christ, right? Christ is seated at the right hand. And uh, he is the one that upholds us by his righteous right hand. In um, Psalm 145, verse 13, it says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And Then it goes on to say, the Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Amen? He is the one that is able to do that. And uh, a lot more could be said about that. But again, he is the one that upholds us. And um, he does that in every situation. Uh, He is the Lord. And the promise of his presence uh, is what gives us that hope and you know i think i think about that because we've looked at several promises like uh, that encompass this with the presence of god and we have um for example uh, i don't know about you but sometimes you you worry about the future right you worry about what's going to come up uh, on tuesday you know today's sunday usually sundays well you get to trust in the lord and you get to you know kind of get your mind refreshed hopefully Uh, But Monday rolls around and Tuesday rolls around and all of a sudden you're back in the same rut of worrying and fears and those kind of things. But keeping in mind that the presence of God is not limited just to the very present time. In other words, his presence is not limited to the present, right? Um, He inhabits eternity. That's a verse from Isaiah 2. And God inhabits eternity, meaning this, that he is already there on Tuesday. You're not, but he is. I love that. And he's there with you to the very end. I think of that Casting Crown song, which is one of my favorite ones of theirs, Already There. And the song, the lyrics for it go like this. is from where I'm standing, Lord, it's hard. It's so hard for me to see where this is going and where you're leading me. I wish I knew how. All my fears and all my questions are going to play out in a world I can't control. (laughs) Boy, I'm there, right? When I'm lost in the mystery, to you my future is a memory. Because you're already there. You're already there. Standing at the end of my life, waiting on the other side, and you're already there. You're already there. Uh, And that song just reminds us, and it goes down through a bunch of others. But, for instance, it says this. 
One day I'll stand before you and look back on the life I've lived because you're already there. You're already there. When I'm lost in the mystery, to you my future is a memory. Think about that. Our future is a memory for God. Because you're already there. You're already there. Standing at the end of my life, waiting on the other side, you're already there. You're already there. Isn't that great? And um, I'm not going to sing that for you, obviously, but what a, what a song. What, what a reminder of the promise of God in his presence. Great truth in that. Lord, we are thankful for the word of God and for tonight, Lord, that as we go out from this place, you would be the one who would go before us, and you are already there. Help us to trust in that, knowing your presence inhabits eternity. And you know the beginning from the end. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.